Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Topic. And this week we are delving back into the vaults for uh, another week. And well, this week I am a high school teacher. Apparently I've got a problem with those. Um, I'm Alex. And apparently I'm an alternate future version of myself that's quite evil. I'm Dan. Yes, and um, well, we are talking this week about uh, your all-time favourite baddies. Great episode. It's really good fun, and we don't tend to go quite so broad, but because we talk about nostalgia in this this uh, podcast, and there's lots to draw upon, and baddies are everywhere. Mm. Actually, we haven't naturally gone to the MCU. We haven't naturally gone to some of the tropes that you do usually expect of the channel, and. In fact, a lot of them come from the, the 90s and early noughties. Yeah. Uh, this is actually an episode I'd really like to revisit because I think I only chose two villains. I think I knee-jerked at the time. I was like, oh, I might only do two villains because uh, we did get a lot of listener feedback. Oh, we did. Um, I seem to recall there was there's lots of um, emotive comments because they are. They mm. All these, these baddies stand out because they're well-written, they're well-acted. It's very well scripted and it's filmed phenomenally and they, they leave an impression upon you. I think that's why I really enjoyed this one and I, I joked on the opening about being a high school teacher but actually when I wrote these down took a step back I was like, why have I got a problem with people in <laughs> in, in kind of school management? And apparently I do because I've chosen a lot of baddies from that setting. Um, but they are quality baddies and again mm. they range from uh, 90s BBC TV all the way through to the Harry Potter franchise and beyond, and um, we, I think we had a lot of fun. I mean, in, in alongside that, we've also, as you mentioned, we've got some sci-fi baddies. Um, we've also got some from the espionage spy world. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a really good one to get your ears round. And if you guys want to hear another one, then let us know. Hit us up. Give us some feedback on the socials or on the social media for this week. Um, with any of your recommendations or any of the ones we've missed and we all feature those in the volume too and if you believe some of these villains are misunderstood then it might be worth go checking out our previous episode uh, Unsung Heroes and Misunderstood Villains that was yeah. a really good episode um, in the OTT days yeah having a look at um, perhaps as you say some misunderstood villains and actually they're not all bad they have a reason they have a always, always a good one but you can kind of understand where they're coming from yeah but no, these ones, they're just straight up bad. Uh, like Dolores Umbridge, I think she appeared. And actually, interesting enough, I was listening to this one today, in reading this for today's episode, and I called her an absolute bitch. Oh, I, she is. And you said, but that's okay, Alex, to swear, because we don't often swear in this podcast. <laughs> and if you roll the clock forwards, what was that, three years? We've we sworn quite a lot. We're like sailors. Potty mouths. Mm. Uh, but that's because we're just comfortable with you, listener. That's all. Um, but it's really interesting. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really good one. I hope you enjoy it. It's all the way back from I guess what twenty nineteen. Yeah, it's been that long. A simpler time, of course. Um, enjoy it, and again, let us know in the comments or on the social media. But otherwise, here it is. Hello, Rasters, and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Roundup. I'm Alex. I'm Dan. And um, this week, we are covering off all-time baddies. This has been on the roster for some time. I mean, we've, we've talked about this, I guess, for quite a few probably months now. 
and in our defence, there's been quite a lot to cover off. I mean, we just covered off E3. We've had our birthday. We've had multiple films, um, not to mention Endgame and the impending, uh, in a positive sense, uh, Spider-Man um, Far From Home. We were eventually going to get around to it, and now we have. Yeah, we need to bring you time-relevant, delicious podcasts. Indeed, because we want you to enjoy every single week. Um, and... Well, before we get into that, Dan, we, I mean, in the last couple of episodes, we mentioned that there may be some desire to cover off Game of Thrones, but, I mean, we weren't too, too enamoured by the, the last and final season, and I, would, I just wasn't sure personally whether we should do a series kind of review, because there's only really one that stood out for me, which is the Battle of Winterfell, which I've never seen that many dead bodies on screen at any given time. Mm. But it was also quite controversial because you had to turn up the, light, the lightness on your TV because you couldn't bloody see what was going on. Yeah. But apart from that, I, I thought it was largely passable. Um, so what we're going to do, Dan, is just quickly just cover off, I guess, some feedback from the, the internet. Yep. So we've got Andrew. He says, unpopular opinion, the Game of Thrones finale was everything it needed to be. And then we've got Alexander, your namesake. Oh, yeah. He says... I have quite enjoyed the final series. I know it was rushed at times and people got from A to B rather quickly, but overall good, I think. I'm just really not sure, Dan. I mean, we're all, we're, you know, everyone's opinion is fine and sacred here on the, the weekly roundup. I've always said that and I'll never shoot anyone down. But what I would say is you can't expect fully for people to be on board with wrapping up all in, what was it, eight episodes? Or six. It was only six. It was they could have fleshed it out. I think yeah, they had the time. They had the appetite from the, the you know the audience to to bring to a conclusion all of that you know ten ten years worth of um, or storylines is. I don't think they did it justice. I agree. Some characters found their natural conclusion, um, but for me, I just I just can't agree with those two views. But hey. You know, everyone is is welcome here on the uh, the weekly roundup. So my namesake got involved, uh, Daniel Warren Holland. I'm going to call him Dutch. Anyone still complaining about only six episodes of Game of Thrones this season needs to check out the YouTube channel. They have makings ofs for the episodes. Guys, only human. Not sure they could have made anymore to be honest level of effort that's gone in this is unreal yeah and I agree I mean I mean bless him Kit Harrington I mean he's effectively um, seeking counselling I think for you know the the stress and strains of filming and everything that comes with Game of Thrones and so you know it took a lot of time and effort I mean it took what two years was it between series it was yeah there was a two year break yeah um, a lot of time and effort I think there was even a period of say a good couple of months where there was just every night people were filming you know, those battle scenes they never saw day so I agree you know let's let's not forget the effort that was put into it um, and also let's not forget you know George R. R. Martin the original um, creator and the novelist of the books he said, but ultimately, that's where he wanted the characters to end up. Mm. So whether you like it or not, that's where it was going to end up anyway. It just happened a lot sooner than, than you would have read. We did get some negative comments. So Mikey wrote and he said, at least hire some talented writers. Which is quite damning. Yeah. But, 
I kind of had to agree with him because if if you're going to do effectively two or three seasons in one and it has to be in six episodes then make sure you do get some top notch writing to be able to fill those gaps effectively and I'm not sure they did last up is Gary he says very disappointed with this final season Cersei was wasted Danny destroyed John finished up where he started and Arya did nothing after killing the Night King the only good character ending arc was Sansa's in my opinion spot on I agree with Sansa's roundup. actually it was quite good yeah um, she she didn't have to bend the knee she didn't have to sacrifice anything and you know naturally then you have a Stark left on uh, on Winterfell but um, yeah everyone else get and see yeah totally agree mm. Um, so yeah those are our thoughts um, and your thoughts as it happens on um, on Game of Thrones I don't think we'll do a, a season uh, roundup unless you guys want it so let us know um, uh, and reach out to us we'll give you the contact details in a little bit but no otherwise um, thank you for getting in contact with us I think those comments are all fair and valid um, let's get on with the episode Dan yeah we actually got some feedback for this one as well from some of our fans we have well, I think we'll, we'll get there shortly I guess we will um, and this kind of this kind of resonates I think with a lot of people because regardless of kind of what kind of film you're interested in there's always this role of the baddie you know you've got to have your yin to your yang your bad to your good and sometimes you just want to root for the bad guy um, so I guess with that in mind we've got a couple that we want to share um, Dan do you want to kick us off with your first one yeah so my first villain is Raul Silver from Skyfall played by Javier Bardem ah good choice so just to give you a bit of a, an overview listener if you haven't watched Skyfall yeah. he's a former MI6 agent and he's now an agent of Spectre he's the major antagonist of Skyfall and he's probably a bit more of a classic Bond villain, isn't he? Like, he's sort of more about destruction and revenge rather than, wow, I want to take over the world, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but he does it with class, though, doesn't he? He's He wears the suits, he's well-dressed, he's not, you know, your disgruntled military, ex-military type character. Um, he's very much kind of the, the puppeteer. Powerful cyber terrorist, if I recall. Yeah. I mean, you can probably watch Skyfall every week on ITV. It's on repeat, pretty much. Uh, he was once an honourable MI6 agent who was betrayed by M when she turned him over to the Chinese during a mission in Hong Kong, where he was actually tortured for five months, which you can sort of understand. He's, uh, he's a little bit pissed off. You might get a grudge if your boss dobbed you in. So he actually tried to commit suicide by biting into a cyanide capsule, and it left him with... A disfigured sunken jaw and some rotten teeth yeah that's that didn't quite go to plan because there's a bit of a gritty scene isn't there he pulls something out of his jaw like a, a yeah plate, and his face sort of sinks it, it's effectively Dan's pulling at his face as, <laughs> just, as he said that re- reliving the uh, the horrifying moment but um, as if our listeners can see me yeah but um, due to the power of descriptive explanation you're you're living it but yeah it's it's quite a jarring moment, um, but it just adds to, you know, he lost more than, you know, his country. He lost more than, you know, his dignity and his freedom. He also lost something physical as well. Yeah. So, I mean, in the film, he ends up destroying the MI6 HQ at Vauxhall and he kills several agents. Yeah. 
on Silver's Island where Bond gets captured he actually plays on Bond's resentment for M because at the start of Skyfall doesn't Bond get shot on a mission yeah I seem to remember um, he is on top of a train and um, he he tells uh, his counterpart to is it Tessa Thompson who Please. No, it's Ooh. not. It's not. It's um, another talented actress. Um, and he, he tells his colleague to pull the trigger, and unfortunately, he turns at the wrong time, takes a bullet to the shoulder, and the baddie gets away. Take the shot. I say, take the shot. I can't. I mean, it won't. Take the bloody shot. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, he decides to take a good, I think it's six months out. Everyone thinks he's dead and he comes back to save the day. Um, and it's it's quite a nice way to, to start a film, if I'm honest. Yeah. Well, so Bond actually sort of refuses to sort of play on that resentment. And he's led outside for a, a game of William Tell where he puts... Um, is it a glass of whiskey or something on the girl's yeah, head? It is, yeah, on and the, he's got the, the Bond girl, yeah. And he won't take the shot and then... He takes the shot for him, just shoots her in the head. Oops, I slipped. He did. And a fun fact, actually, Dan, just whilst we talk about that, so this this uh, this island where this scene takes place actually exists. Um, I mean, perhaps not in all the scene for its glory, but I believe it's off the coastline of Japan, and this was solely built um, and housed workers for a local I think it was a manufacturing plant and sure enough the industry collapsed and that's why it is a literal ghost city because oh. um, the workers no longer live there um, they gained obviously special access to it but you, I think you can visit it um, an interesting bit of history there but it's, it's fantastic that they're actually using real life kind of ghost cities um, in films and this one's a real one from Japan okay well, Bond uses a distress call when he calls in reinforcements to capture Silver, but it was Silver's intention to be captured in order to get to M, and he escapes when a virus from his laptop infects the MI6 HQ. Oh, yes. The virus opens up all electronically locked doors, and he storms into a public hearing as M is giving her a, a testimony. Guess all shooty-shooty bang-bang. Yeah, this is going to be a thing now, isn't it, for our episodes? I like it. Shooty, shooty, bang, Hashtag bang. shooty, shooty, bang, bang. I'm going to start using that on Twitter when I'm uh, posting. That's going to happen. It's a thing. Yeah, it is now. Shooty, shooty, bang, bang. Fantasy. Fantasy. <laughs> I mean, he fails to kill M, and Bond and M escape, and they go to Scotland where they await for Silver to attack. And this is a great moment where he's coming in in the helicopter... Am I right in thinking he's got some sort of music blaring out? Yeah, he's. I think he's playing classical music out the speakers. It's a it's a Russian uh, attack helicopter being modified, and yeah, it's effectively a siege of of Bond against his helicopter and loads of bullets, if I recall, uh, and missiles and his his beloved um, Aston Martin DB5 gets blown up as long as as, as long as well as his house. Mostly wounds M as well. Yeah, she snuffs it. She's brown bread. She's brown bread. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a nice kind of swan song to Judy Dench, who played black character for a good 10, 15 years. And, mm. and she's been phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, it had to come to an end. Um, but what a way to go. I mean, there is more to it. I mean, you sort of see this maniacal, maniac sort of side to him. 
where he follows them to the chapel and puts a gun not only to his temple but he's saying like well if I put my head against yours and I shoot myself we can go together that's how much of a maniac he is it's very nice of him really isn't it well yeah I mean let's let's go together he's that insane Uh, he meets his fate when Bond throws a knife into his back he does what a way to go Um, so just a sort of little bit about his character I guess he's agitated and deranged as you can imagine he says he's been let down by um, his country yep and the theory is he has a borderline personality disorder so he's intense he has an intense fear of abandonment emotional extremes and is unstable so he struggles sort of identify with himself all the best people do Dan but he shows sociopathic behaviour very laid back to dangerous sadistic situations and lacks compassion towards even his allies so perhaps not someone you want to go down to the pub with a pipe for no he's a bit of a strange character as well he's sort of very camp and I will try and find a, a soundbite for a drop in of him being a bit camp to Bond because I'm pretty sure he sort of tries to come onto him a little bit at some stage I think there is some kind of, kind of sexual reference when he first meets in the abandoned city um, it's not really expanded upon but I think yeah there's definitely kind of sexual tension that's um, inferred See what she's done to you. Well, she never tied me to a chair. Her loss. Are you sure this is about him? It's about her. And you and me. Hmm. But that's my first one. Mm. I think it's a good character, and I think for all those reasons, um, it's a good solid start. Um uh, and yeah what what's the, the baddest name again Raul Silva Raul Silva very good um, I'm going to suggest though Dan we rewind back in cinematic history to um, a simpler time okay but not too far back um, Harry Potter yep which I absolutely love and adore um, the books and the films I think are great and um, to the Order of the Phoenix so in this particular film um, we see Harry back at Hogwarts I think the majority of the film actually takes place in Hogwarts and um, you know his his colleagues well, his peers and his um, his teaching staff are under siege from a particular character dresses in pink oh loves cats Oh no! I My know first all-time baddie has got to be Madam Undersecretary Professor Dolores Jane Umbridge. Thank you, Headmaster, for those kind words of welcome. And how lovely to see all your bright, happy faces smiling up at me. I'm sure we're all going to be very good friends. That's likely. Great shout. Um, this particular character um, is Half-Blood Witch and a Ministry of Magic bureaucrat who served as a senior undersecretary to the Minister of Magic under Ministers Cornelius Fudge, Rufus Scrimger and Pius Dignese, in case you know your Harry Potter. Um, in 1995, by order of the Ministry, she was installed as Defence Against the Dark Arts Professor at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry 
and then later Hogwarts High Inquisitor and Headmistress of Hogwarts School of Wizcraft and Wizardry um, after Professor Albus Dumbledore had been fired. Um, now I think it's quite an interesting character because she effectively is an official that has come in by the, the Ministry of Magic to kind of steer the ship. Dumbledore has wrongly been accused of um, either lying or orchestrating certain events in the wider wisdom world. Um, they don't believe that um, Voldemort is, is, is actually in, in and around causing magic and mayhem and he's framed. And so of course she steps in um, as headmistress and therein lies the, the very, very dark undertones of this character and the turn of the film. So uh, there's a particular scene where I think um, she mentions in, in a lesson that, um, you know, Dumbledore, which is effectively Harry's mentor, his best mate, his father figure, um, you know, is, is a criminal, is a crook, is a liar, and that um, Voldemort no longer exists, you know. And I think Harry call, you know, calls her out on, on her bullshit and says, look, you're wrong, get yeah. in the sea. Uh, and she, he, he, ended, he doesn't quite say that, of course. Um, but you know, he really does, you know, talk out at her. This is a, a senior member of, of the school. She's like, I saw him. He was in the graveyard. I fought him. I fought he, him. he, he killed Cedric um, Diggory. Diggory, and yeah, he's, you know, he's around. She's like, no, it's nonsense. You're lying. You now need to do lines. I'm not talking cocaine. <laughs> that, that'd be very dark. No, I'm talking about old-fashioned writing. You're going to be doing some lines for me today, Mr. Potter. No, not with your quill. I'm going to be using a rather special one of mine. Now, I want you to write, I must not tell lies. How many times? Well, let's say for as long as it takes for the message to sink in. But as he writes, it's etching into the back of his hand, and it's quite raw, and it's it's bleeding, and yeah. it's it's really quite a violent kind of dark scene. But it just goes to show just how far she's willing she's she's willing to use these dark arts against children, which are um, you know innocent. They they need protection. She's supposed to be a guardian, the custodian of their safety, and actually she's putting them at risk. Isn't there a scene as well? I mean, we I know we get one with just Harry doing the the writing, but there's like a whole detention where there's loads of kids doing yeah. it. Yeah, effectively, she she has them all behind. I think it's before they they're taking their owls, their exams, and yeah, they're all scribbling away and they're um they're causing harm to their hands. And it's it's a very dark scene, but that's not all she does. She actually drugs a uh, a fellow student. Oh, I remember this. Harry's love interest show. So whilst they're trying to um, to get ready to build this Order the Phoenix, this group who will eventually f- fight the uh, the dark forces of, uh, of Voldemort. Um, yeah, she she drugs this this poor young girl to give the the location of this room that always changes, and that's how they manage to to get hold of um, of them training in secret. Mm. Um, and they she uses a a vial of veritas or true serum. Um, so she's willing to cause harm to uh, students' hands. 
through dark magic. She's also willing to drug them, which is pretty, pretty dark stuff. But if that's all enough, she, over the course of probably the, the middle um, part of the film to the final third act, introduces an inquisitorial squad made up of Slytherins. Uh, yeah. And uh, effectively, this harkens back to say, like the SS of um, of Nazi Germany. You know, you are getting youth to do the bidding of, um, you know, a an establishment of a dark order uh, and leadership. And there are some synergies with that character uh, and with that group. Um, and then finally, you know, she um, she also in- introduced a number of edicts. Um, which look to eradicate social behaviour. So it gets all very silly towards the end of the film, and you've got uh, Felch, or Filch. That's it, Filch. Um, and he's tapping away all these various different edicts on the wall, and, you know, he can't find space because there's so many rules, you know, and you're not allowed to be sociable, you're not allowed to spend time out of hours out of school. Uh, effectively, she brings the school in lockdown. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, at the very end, of course, she gets her comeuppance, um, the the Weasley twins oh, um, cause mischievous twins absolute mayhem with their new gadgets and gizmos from their future shop that they'll open uh, as they're taking their owl exams and uh, yeah she's she's dethroned at the very end the Ministry of Magic of course comes to her senses uh, she's removed um, and I think she she ends up going back to the Ministry of Magic so yeah. she's still got a job uh, they see nothing wrong but obviously her her practices are really quite dark dangerous um, and not really befitting for a teacher of a school fantastic scene as well where she's running away and that big dragon firework thing is just chasing after and her and engulfs her at the very end her. and she's all frazzled and um, and, and, and smokied unlucky but yeah she's she's my first one Dolores Umbridge because she's she's an absolute bitch yep um, and I felt good to say out loud we don't usually swear on the podcast but but she, she's, we are now. But she's a fantastic. But to to do her justice, and actually all of my my baddies are, uh, they've also all got something in common, which we'll talk about my psyche in a moment. Um, she's just a well written character. So I dotted my cap to J.K. Rowling. She's she's taken a couple of um, sharp tongues from you and I over the last couple of uh, episodes, <laughs> the seasons. But her writing, you cannot deny, it, is spot on, and she's done an absolute blinder with uh, Umbridge. So yeah, she's my first one. So next up for me is Biff Tannen from Back to the Future Trilogy, played by Thomas F. Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Biff Tannen Museum, dedicated to Hill Valley's number one citizen and America's greatest living folk hero. Ah, yes. Now, I only know him from, I think, the second outing, because I had quite patchy... um, I have a patchy kind of relationship with Back to the Future in the order that I've mm. seen it because I, I think I went to my cousins once and they showed me like the third one. Oh, okay. Which is rubbish. I think it's the Wild West, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And then I went back and saw the first one and then I saw the second one so it's all out of order and I didn't really know what was going on. Um, but I know who you're talking about and I think he's a good choice. He's a, he's a bit of a bully so he's power hungry and he's the reoccurring attag- an antagonist in, the, in this classic trilogy. So in the original timeline so we're going to the very first film he started bullying George McFly and he just never stopped. And over 30 years, he and George end up working together for some company where Biff becomes George's supervisor. And due to George doing all the work for Biff, Biff continues to make his way up the chain, I guess, to, yeah. to be where he is now. 
and he also continues his crush for Lorraine although George and Lorraine still end up married so the joke's on him still yeah so we do still see different iterations of Biff which is quite cool so there is a revised timeline where Marty accidentally travels back to 1955 and he manages, manages to get on the wrong side of Biff Marty also indirectly becomes responsible for Biff crashing his car into the manure truck which leads to Biff finding Marty and Lorraine on a night of the school dance yes which um, ends up becoming quite a pivotal time for, for Marty um, and he has to, to right some wrongs yeah so Biff actually sort of traps Marty in the boot of another car with his gang and he tries to have his way with Lorraine and George comes along where he thought he'd be rescuing Lorraine from Marty but instead he has to go up against big bully Biff where he's you know it's it's not a, a nice scene he's essentially trying to rape Lorraine but George punches him and that's where he stops bullying him yay for George yay for George so George is more confident and Biff is no longer victimising him and or picking on him and he it ends up sort of a role, role reversal so he ends up working for, for George alright now we go all the way to 2015 so at this point he's like 78 he's still cleaning cars and he he remembers the DeLorean flying off in 1985 so when he sees it again he uses yeah. it to go back with a um, I think it's like an almanac with all the winning teams yeah so he can um, put bets on to win races and, and things yeah. yeah so he goes back in time to 1955 where he gives his younger self the almanac goes back to 2015 where he ultimately snuffs it or he I guess he does snuff it but he fades from existence because I guess you've created another timeline now we're talking time travel and yeah. things can get a little bit confusing but yeah you can't have in certain respects two of the same people running around and because of that when Marty goes back to 1985 from this future timeline he's now entered another timeline where Biff is he's rich he's powerful and he's spending all his money on women and cars so he's started up a toxic waste company called Biffco, becoming one of America's richest and most powerful men in America. He builds a 27-story casino in Hill Valley and names it Biff Tannen's Pleasure Paradise Casino and Hotel. Catchy. Try saying that three times over as quick as you can. What, and then Biff will appear in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> that would be really be horrific. That would be disturbing, wouldn't it? Uh, interesting as well so this wasn't really mentioned in the film but apparently he helped Richard Nixon remain president of the US until 1983 so he actually has an effect on history and the entire world just this one character just this one character and in this version of history the Vietnam War is still going on in May 1983 Mm. Um, so it turns out that Biff murdered George McFly in 1973 where he shot him which led him to lead to him marrying for a third time which is Lorraine McFly right yeah and he's not very supportive he doesn't give any support to her three kids and he's yeah all the money and power has gone to his head and he's treating her horribly um 
to the point where it even forces her to have implants. This guy doesn't sound very nice, Dan. No. He almost, he almost sounds like a villain, dare I say it. I mean, they still manage to out of time where, you know, Biff sort of becomes nice again. But hey, that's, that's Biff. Yeah. Nasty guy. I guess a little bit like uh, your your first suggestion, Dolores Umbridge, who again is a bully. Indeed, uh, we don't have any time for bullies here on the weekly roundup. No, get in um, the sea. Get in the sea. But no, that's uh, a good second choice, Dan. Mm. Uh, for my second choice, I am going to go with all the way back to 1996 and 1998. Okay. Now, for those of our listeners that perhaps aren't from the UK. Um, there were some children's books by Gillian Cross. Um, there was the TV series based on her books, made for CBBC or Children's BBC. And it was a drama which was first broadcast between those two years, 96 and 98. Um, this, of course, is The Demon Headmaster. I didn't watch it all the time, but this does draw back on my childhood a little bit. Played by Terence Hardyman. So if you Google The Demon Headmaster, BBC, and Terence Hardyman, you'll be met with a face, I think, with green glowing eyes. He's got quite the stare. And for me, this I mean, this, this sticks in my psyche because I was growing up and this I found this quite harrowing as a as an innocent child, but also because it's really such a fantastic concept. As I've gotten older, as you can see synergies with more popular films that I enjoy. Um, but to give you a bit of background, so the school location scenes in the first series, because there were, I think there were three, uh, were filmed at Hatch End High School in Hatch End, Harrow, London, um, northwest London, and then the Royal Masonic School for Girls in Rixmansworth, Hertfordshire. Now, the, uh, the synopsis for the first book is that um, Adina Glass moves in with the, with the Hunter family and starts going to the same school as her foster brothers Lloyd and Harvey. It's not easy, as they seem to hate her, which isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> and school is really strange. Pupils suddenly talk like robots and do weird things, and even Dina finds herself acting oddly. She's sure the headmaster has some kind of power over them, and she's determined to find out more but the demon headmaster is equally determined to stop her. That's the first season. Yeah. The first, uh, first one. She eventually comes, comes to understand, she does some investigation, she loses track of time or finds herself doing some strange things, comes to her senses uh, and ends up, I think, bringing to light through the, the board of governors this um, the demonic headmaster and I think he's um, unseated as, as a head of the school and he escapes. But she saves the day. She is a star pupil, and I think her family love her again, and uh, and the rest of her her fellow pupils. But that's that's not the end of it, Dan. Okay, so there's the, more. And the one that I really enjoyed was the second season. Uh, I think it only takes place a couple of years later because the BBC knew they wanted a good thing. Um, and uh, there's a new computer game out at school, Dan. 
Yep. Not sure if you heard this one. It's called Octopus Dare. And apparently everyone was playing it back in 1998. But only Dina is any good at it, which is strange. <laughs> Soon all she can think about is the game. She wins a place at a grand final and she's obviously delighted. But there's something strange about all of it that scares Dina. So her friends come with her to the final. Before long, they find themselves in trouble as the computer director turns out to be their old enemy, the demon headmaster. Of course. And he's behind it, so he's lured her in. Um, and he's back to his old tricks about um, entrancing pupils, making them do strange things. Um, nothing that sinister, you know, is, is, is children's TV. But nonetheless, it's, um, it's quite dark. Mm. Um, they won Best Drama for BAFTA's Children's Award in 1997. Um, but the reason why I like it and the reason why it's kind of stuck with me is because it kind of resonates with like the invasion of the body snatchers okay. a very old kind of sci-fi concept uh, again where people are acting strangely um, you're not too sure why um, it turns out there's you know that there's a, a malevolent force behind it but if I draw to a more recent film which is actually based on that body snatchers which is called The Invasion with Nicole Kidman yeah, I know. Have you seen that film? I think I might have done. I think it's quite underrated, but effectively this um this parasite, this alien entity, crash lands, is transferred between people, I think, by touch, and they have a hive mind. But effectively the the, the concept is Nicole Kidman can't fall asleep, she's infected. If she does, it'll take over her mind. And um what she notices is that everyone around her starts acting differently and strangely, like robots, and she becomes quite isolated. And they they instill such a harrowing kind of sense of loneliness in that film. And Nicole Kidman does a blinding job; she's phenomenal at it. Um, if you haven't seen it, a great, great film. Do check it out. The Invasion, um, but in so doing kind of takes me back to the demon headmaster you know this girl she's she's up against it she no one likes her foster family don't like her and her pupils all acting very strange she loses track of time and she acts oddly and finds herself doing strange things she, she doesn't know why mm. and then she's, she's suddenly in on it and she realises these, these pupils are being controlled and the staff being controlled by this demonic headmaster with um, hypnotic eyes and um, she has to pretend and again she's got that inherent loneliness and isolation and you know as a child they're quite interesting themes and for me that's why it kind of stuck with me because you've got this this overseer and you know as a child you spend all of your life as you would do at work mm. but all of your life in school and the one thing that controls it is this terrible terrible head of school and he's out to get you and that in itself is a terrifying concept. And creepy. Very creepy. So, uh, yeah, that one is from uh, the golden years of 1996 and 1998, The Demon Headmaster. And again, Google that one. Terrace Hardiman, um, phenomenal actor. Uh, still around. Um, don't know what he's doing now, but yeah, he's famed for that role. And I've got a third one, Dan. I've got three honourable mentions, which I won't go into too much detail, but I purposely chose them. Because none of our audience did. Do you want to go to some now? Yeah, let's do it. So I've chosen the Trinity Killer from season four of Dexter, also known as Arthur Mitchell, played by John Lithgow. I didn't get that far. I think in the previous uh, episode, or maybe speak to someone before about this, I only got up to season three in the beginning. This was my favourite Dexter villain. 
So perhaps I stopped just short of yeah. where I should have done. Because season four is fantastic. Okay. It's phenomenal. So John Lithgow plays this sort of maniac slash manic. Uh, initially seen as a family man role model, but it's actually revealed to be Dexter's most prolific and disturbing murderer. Even in a way in which anti-hero Dexter can't stomach and he puts people Dexter cares about in grave danger. Which says a lot because Dexter is a serial killer who is quite methodical in his dispatching. So to be sickened by someone else goes quite a long way. But let's not forget Dexter is also taking out people that are bad and probably deserve it. So that's okay. Mm, well, maybe not killing them, sort of at least bring them <laughs> to justice. Justice under a knife apparently. How this one didn't come under the radar is The Governor from The Walking Dead, played by David Morrissey. Yeah, good choice. I mean, this I know Negan's probably an, ob- an obvious choice when you're watching The Walking Dead, but The Governor, I think he's worse. The Governor was really bad. I mean, he um, he he effectively waged the first fallout and, and, and waging war against the survivors. Was it season two? Yeah, it was two or in the three because it went on for a couple of seasons. I think this walks with yeah. him and the governor. Yeah. Uh, he's a bit of a tyrant. He slaughters outsiders and residents alike. Uh, turns on his loyal followers when they fail him. Yeah, he's really not a nice guy. Um, and again, brilliantly, uh, brilliantly acted and uh, a great bit of um, script work there. And how this one didn't come up at all, Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones played by Jack Leeson Joffrey yes uh, torturer murderer sexually assaults women he has Ned Stark beheaded it's just a sneering little shit and he's horrible it's just a hateful figure and I think when when he comes to his timely not too soon sadly but uh, timely end um, he's poisoned I think I, I think everyone was pleased at the ending of that um, that character um it hadn't come soon enough and he but that just goes to show again how well written he was and well acted because mm. everyone hated him and you could you could almost feel the um the evil through the TV screen um such a fantastic character but for all the wrong reasons yeah definitely mm. so who's your last one my last one now again I mentioned there's a bit of a theme here you may have already uh, worked it out Dan and I probably have to go and speak to someone about this in my own time to understand why. Um, but uh, this is another teacher. Oh, okay. Um, so I clearly have a problem with people's <laughs> authority uh, from a, a childhood perspective. But this one's a Miss Trunchbull. Ah, fresh meat. Played by Pam Ferris. Matilda? Matilda indeed I remember seeing this at the cinema and I want to go back as far as 1995 96 96 see I'm close near enough yeah so Miss Agatha Trunchbull also known as Miss Trunchbull or simply The Trunchbull uh, is a fictional headmistress of Crunchham Hall Primary School or Crunchham Hall Elementary School as it's one of the main um, antagonists in Roald Dahl's 1988 novel Matilda and of course 96 film um, apparently in the book she's said to look more like an eccentric and rather bloodthirsty follower of the staghounds than the mistress of a nice school for children um, in the 1996 film she dresses in a black trench coat and draws similarities to say like the, the Nazis she's very kind of dictatory 
One thing that sticks in my mind as well is her hair. Her hair is sort of really slicks back into that bun. Yeah, that's also known as a Croydon facelift for those from the mm. UK. Um, but yeah, it's very tight. Uh, quite a, a tall um, statue of a woman um, with broad so- shoulders. Um, she's also depicted as being a gigantic holy terror. <laughs> a f- imagine being called a gigantic holy terror uh, I'm not sure if it's good or bad thing. Mm. Um, a fierce tyrannical monster who frightened the life out of pupils and teachers alike notorious for her wildly excessive and idiosyncratic discipline trivial misdeeds uh, incurring punishments up to potentially near fatal physical discipline her hatred of children is so great she denies ever having been a child herself Mm. now in the novel Matilda believed that the reason why um, her tortures and punishments were so extreme was in order to make the stories about how she punished the children absolutely impossible to believe for a reasonable person so that way nobody would do anything to stop her for the simple reason they think that the children make up stories about it yeah which is absolutely genius which in itself is terrifying Mm. so to give an example if you haven't seen the film or read the books um, there's a particular scene where she picks up a young girl by her pigtails because she doesn't like the the fashion of wearing her hair in pigtails. She picks her up by her hair and throws her around. I remember this. Like she a windmill. Swings her around by the pigtails. Yeah. Um, she also punishes a boy for sneaking a slice of chocolate cake, which is her favourite. This is that was horrific, isn't it? Uh, by forcing him to eat it in an assembly with everyone watching. Uh, eats 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 it whole. Now she thinks that's a punishment, but of course the boy loves uh, it. Well, what what child wouldn't enjoy eating chocolate cake? Now he devours it, but unfortunately, because he does such a good job, well done, son. Um, she punishes the whole school, and they have to write for five hours. Apparently, it take me longer, so there must be fast writing. Oof. Five hours in copying a dictionary. Lovely. Which is an educational punishment. So actually, maybe she's not all bad after all. Hmm. No, she is. Debatable. Um, Educational as well as terrifying. Um, Now, in the book, she holds up a boy by his long hair because it's too long. Um, But given she's already done that, she holds a boy up by his leg because he didn't empty his pockets fast enough. And then there's this this, uh, coffin which she sends children in as punishment. It's called the Chokey. Or it's also resembling an Iron Maiden, which is um, an actual horrific piece of uh, of uh, torture equipment which is effectively a coffin with spikes in um, now the chokey in the film is uh, filled with broken glass sticking out the walls with nails on the door and whoever wobbles will either be spiked by the glass or the nails nasty because um, apparently it's only 10 inches square so no one can really sit or sit uh, or squat on it Ooh. Now Matilda, the um, you know the, the heroine of the uh, the book and the film, she's put in there, but is rescued by her future guardian, Miss Honey. But again, if we look at Trunchbull herself, you know, not too dissimilar again to um, Dolores Umbridge, her punishments are really quite dangerous. She has a total disregard for children. She hates them, as arguably so. I don't think you can argue actually, but so does uh, Umbridge, um, and she's of a, a senior position. Mm. so teachers cow under her pupils do again children are, are you know depicted as innocents and um, you know these near fatal punishments so I mean she's my third and horrific all time villain 
Um, they're all teachers, which again, I will be seeking probably some psychiatric <laughs> assistance with come to terms with perhaps the underlying reasons for that. Uh, I did all right at school, Dan, so I don't know quite quite what beef is. But hopefully you, listener, can at least appreciate that I've chosen some interesting characters, uh, notwithstanding my weak character trait. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's my third one. Uh, what we'll do is we'll go to some, uh, some listener ones in a sec, and then afterwards, well, I want to share with you, Dan, perhaps... Um, Empire Magazine's Greatest Villains of All Time Top 20 it did last year so something to chat about um, but beforehand yeah let's well, we put this out on social media and we got uh, some really good responses didn't we we did so first up is my dad or also known as Dave, Dave. thanks dad thanks Dave Dr Evil from Austin Powers here's the plan we get the warhead and we hold the world ransom for one million dollars Yes, uh, Mike I mean, Myers. Bit of a comedy take on Blofeld from James Bond. Yeah, Dr. No. Um, Always remember him stroking his bald cat, Mini-Me, uh, his little henchman around the table. stroking Mini-Me? Oh no, he wasn't stroking Mini-Me, you know. That's, that's, a diff- <laughs> that's a different kind of film you've just watched there, Dan. Oh God, this yeah. is taking a really bad turn, This isn't is a it? really dark turn. Um, but no, you're right, yeah. He uh, had Mini-Me, he created Mini-Me. Also... Um, uh, Seth Green played his son yep. uh, who ends up becoming uh, a chip of the old block in latter films uh, Rob Lowe was one of his henchmen I believe number one number one or number two probably number two can't really remember given the uh, the immature references sharks with lasers on their heads yes uh, volcanic lair you know this is very piss takey Bond stuff and I, I love Austin Powers especially the first one definitely one oh the first favorite. one's a classic um I think it's it's much loved and um, yeah, Dave. I can't I can't disagree. Um, great choice. Doctor No is uh, is first up. Well, we've got a couple from Chris Cooper, but his first one was Gold Member from Austin Powers Three. Toyed like a tiger. You have a toy body. Yes, I see that from your toy pants. Yes, you are toyed like a tiger. If I recall, was uh, the phrase. Yes. Not one of my favourite villains, and I don't think too much of the third Austin Powers film. Well, I think people only like it because Beyonce's in it, if I'm honest. Um, but I think, um, no, for me, that um, that cat is particularly gross because he takes peelings of scabs and puts them in a little keepsake box, which is, mm. as I'm saying, it makes you want to throw up. Um, but yeah, again, very similar, uh, you know, very tongue in cheek, dastardly, do I say it. Um, but yeah in, interesting choices next up Jacob Lane he has put Thanos the Joker and Donald Pierce in Logan yeah so Thanos I I agree I think there's multiple multiple layers to Thanos because actually you can kind of understand where he's coming from yeah because of um, you know his take on you know the universe and how uh, people are consuming its resources and it needs to be rebalanced so you could kind of dare I say empathise with this thought process but his conviction is phenomenal you know he yeah. he he goes to great lengths to see out his vision uh, and for that he should be celebrated the Joker as well um, definitely one of my favourite villains especially from the comic book world now, I'm not a massive DC fan but the iterations I've seen on say the small screen and the big screen yeah We've had various different ones, like we've had the Heath Ledger, for example. 
or we've I can't remember the actor's name, but the one in Gotham. We've also had Jared Leto. They all sort of play the maniac. Jack Nicholson. That's it, yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. That he's just a bit of a maniac. He blows things up, he kills people on the spot. Yeah. Just just because he can. It's a nut job. Um and you know, regardless of who or which depiction you, you think is most accurate or not, I don't think you can deny that either Nicholson or Ledger's depiction of, of that character um, is probably closest to the the, uh, mm. the comics and quite jarring. Because you're right, Dan, they will literally do anything at any given stage and it's quite... Um, you know, it's, it's it's not calculated. It's quite chaotic. And if you look at well, the opening scenes with Heath Ledger, where you know the disappearing pencil, you know oh. that's no one sees that coming. And um, again, it's it's quite a shock, shock and all moment. Um, yeah, and for, I think I guess for that for, for that chaotic nature, and you just he's so random. I think I agree. He's probably one of the best baddies of all time. Of course, in he outwits, you know, the, the caped crusader the most famous and intelligent um, of detectives of all time mm-hmm. and if he if he's come up against him then he must be um, fit for this episode definitely next up is Michael he's put in a few again we've got Thanos uh, Darth Vader yep we've got Dark Seed from the DC Comics uh, Emperor Ming the Merciless Mephisto Magneto Loki and Maleficent. So quite um, Marvel orientated in the main there. Um, yeah, can't can't disagree. They're all quite um, dangerous at their given time, depending on how you read. See, I look at Magneto and I think he's probably more of an anti-hero. But I recall back to a time in the comics, it was sort of the mid-90s, where he ripped out the adamantium from Wolverine's body, which was quite a harrowing moment for me in my... Uh, yeah in my youthful years well, look like, at, oh my god he's just done my favourite superhero in look at House of M so House of M at the very end um, Magnus as he's known in that mm. um, he controls um, Wanda Maximoff uh, Scarlet Witch and she can create a reality and he creates his brand new world which is um, full of mutants and uh, he controls all of the X-Men and most of the Avengers uh, for his bidding they don't know he's different he's, he's wiped their memories and yeah sure enough the only person who knows that something's going on is Wolverine and the final scene I'm not spoiling it you should pick it up because the pencils are brilliant and uh, the comic is fantastic have you read it Dan? no but it's written by Michael Bendis am I right? or is it someone yes, else? Uh, I think it is um, I'll lend to you in a minute we'll get from the cupboard um, it's a great read and yeah at the very end um, yeah effectively Wolverine goes up against him but of course as we know he's made of metal and Mag- Magneto or Magnus can control it so it doesn't mm. quite end as you'd expect um, and I think that's for me one of the best kind of Iterations of the character Magneto because it just goes to show just his inherent hatred for the human race because of you know his, his how he's been treated as as a mutant. Um, uh, so I can kind of understand where he's coming from. Yep. Next up, we've got Samir who put in Mister Sinister from the X Men world again. Mister Sinister is well, it's in the name. Um, I think he's a geneticist um, and he's he's always a thorn in the side of the X Men. 
Everything, the thing that stands out for me is the black lipstick. Yeah. He's got like a cut. Face paint. Yeah. Cut up cape that sort of like still holds quite stiff. It's almost like a Doctor Strange-esque kind of, um, yeah, knee thing going on. Knee-high boots. He's a, look, look, down. He's a product of the 80s. <laughs> um, you just got to go with it. But if you can look past that, he does look strange. Pointy teeth as yeah, well. Yeah, he's, he's definitely uh, a match for... Um, Xavier and his school of gifted mm. children um, and I think it's a good choice for sure I'm going to recall back to the 90s cartoon as well where he captures Cyclops and Jean Grey while they're on the honeymoon you know if you're going to do it wait until they're bloody finished yeah exactly but you know that's when they're least okay. expected I guess uh, next up we've got Thomas who put in Khan from the Wrath of Khan the Star Trek original films I want to say yeah um, it's been a while since I've seen them but um, of course, there was the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, reimagining of Khan in—is um, it Star Trek Into Darkness? I want to say yes, um, with Chris uh, Chris Pine in the reboot. Um, a lot of people were disappointed actually because they don't think it did it justice. But effectively, Khan is um, a throwback from a an old Earth war, a uh, genetic war, and he's a super soldier who wants to. Um, I guess punish Starfleet and that thing it stands for. Mm. Um, and again, there's a I guess a recurring trend here where you have characters who are unwavering in their uh, in their quest to see out their their vision uh, and just how dangerous they are with that. And Khan's the same. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of my favourite scenes. Again, I haven't seen this film for years, but he goes in and he blows up the USS Enterprise, which is no mean feat. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a strong it's a strong uh, battleship, I guess. Most definitely, top of the top of the line. Uh, we had a couple more. We had Mike, who again to the Joker. We've got Cody, who actually agrees with you of Umbridge. Um, yeah, that evil bitch. He says In- intelligent guy, Cody. Um, shout out to Cody. He is our star listener of the episode. Gavin uh, Bane from The Dark Knight, played by. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. This bomb is mobile, and the identity of the Trigger Man is a mystery. Um, but in the end, he just ends up being a a lackey, doesn't he? Mm. He's not. He's not really the brains. He's literally the brawn. Um, but you know, yeah, fair play. Um, I can't understand where Gavin's coming from. We've got Natalie. She says, My favourite villain has to be Wiley Coyote. <laughs> Never gives up on his target. And of course, a brilliant painter of tunnels. So realistic. You can't you can't put him down for his artistic talents. But you would give up, surely. Yeah. You just you never win. Um why bother? And then final final one from Chris, and I will get to my other half. Claire's in a minute because if I don't mention it she'll shoot me not literally uh, Chris says if it's Star Wars then you can't look any further than Palpatine Thanos was too was far too relatable for me to consider him a villain wow and that says a lot about um, mm. that that listener uh, but yeah as I say you can get on board with kind of what Thanos is doing even if the, the application is wildly sadistic and um, hugely terrifying yeah definitely uh, my other half Claire she said Edema from Emperor's New Groove she has seen this film so many times I've seen it so many times I enjoy it but probably not half as much as her 
So remind listeners like myself who perhaps needs uh, their memory jogging. So you've got an arrogant young emperor called Kizko who's transformed to a llama and Yzma basically just wants to take power and she is out to get Kizko out of the way so she can rule the world or the planet. So she's willing to kill a llama? Yeah, and then she's got a lackey Kronk who's a bit of a dimwit muscle man henchman. What a title. Yeah. Um, but she is incredibly vain, arrogant, manipulative, diabolical, and self-serving. Ah, diabolical's a great, great way to describe someone, great descriptor. Um, good choice. Mm. Funnily enough, ex-advisors of Kuzco, so she's got beef. She does. Very good. Anything else from my listeners? No, that was it. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, guys, for um, for contributing. Um, just before we wrap up uh, the episode and give you the contact details, if you want to contribute still, you're more than welcome to. Um, I just wanted to run through Empire Magazine's greatest films of all time, top 20, last year. Yep, let's do it. In at number 20, Mike, Michael Myers from Halloween. Mm, horror film. Murderer. Makes sense. Mm. Number 19... The T-1000 from Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Great villain. Played by Robert Patrick, who's a fantastic actor. I agree. He's relentless um, and, again, perseveres in his murderous um, intent. Harrowing scene uh, from the childhood is where he sticks his finger through the guy's eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, that always stands out for me, especially from my, my childhood. Scared the daylights out of me, that did. Nothing like a poke in the eye to, um... Yeah, to jar you. Mm. Um, uh, next up, Freddy Krueger. Again. Invades people's dreams, is a killer. Long pointy fingers. Yeah. Um, disfigured face, isn't it, with a pointy yeah. cap and striped jumper. Oh, he was in like this maze maze that I went into on uh, in New Zealand several years ago when I went travelling. Actually, Freddy Krueger. That's horrible. Yeah, it was like this horror night and this, like, you know, you get like the maze Oh, maze, the live actors. The, the corn maze, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walking around those and he jumped out, there was Jason, there was Freddy, there was clowns with chainsaws. Oh. They're not allowed to touch you, but it was still horrifying. Yeah, that's not for me, Dan. No, I wish I hadn't done it. I had nightmares. Mm. Well, that was Freddy Krueger. Um, Agent Smith from The Matrix. Okay. Uh, played by Hugo Weaving. Um, again, he's he's very clear on his sense of right and wrong and conviction, uh, which ultimately drives him. Um, Norman Bates Bates from Psycho. Uh, we've got here Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars saga, played by Ian McDiarmid. Um, honorable mention. We'll come to this guy again later on. Sheriff of Nottingham, Prince of Thieves, nineteen ninety one. Alan Rickman. Oh, I love a bit of Alan Rickman. Fantastic this, actor. It's a great film and a great baddie. Um, so evil, uh, so horrific. I think it's a great choice. Uh, we've got uh, a nurse, Ratched, uh, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, based on the book. Uh, I would have put these next two on here personally, but we've got a Sauron, a certain Sauron, Big Eye Man from Lord of the Rings. Really? I don't think he does enough. No. He just floats. And sometimes speaks to to poor Frodo. That's what he does. Yeah, not not a great deal there. Gollum, played by Andy Serkis, fantastically acted, but I wouldn't say that Gollum really is my all-time villain. He's a troubled um, hobbit. Yeah, 
It's just a bit of a bad egg. Um, the alien from Alien. Really? Mm. An alien? Yeah. Um, Voldemort. Yeah. Which Makes I totally sense. agree with. Um, again, he's he's got a conviction. Uh, wants pure bloods in the wizarding world and uh, wants to see the death of Harry Potter and kills one of his childhood friends yeah Cedric um, Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men back in 2007 I haven't seen this film no, no but idea but I, I know that that character does resonate with a lot of people um, I can't get on board this one but Kylo Ren oh I just I just find him a bit wet a bit confused a bit wet I don't really find him what in the grand scheme of things we're going now to, to the top top ten yeah. I don't see him ultimately as one of the biggest threats I think that's too high on the list in my opinion mm. of course he's in um, The Last Jedi um, this year's um, final part of the latest trilogy which for me can get in the sea I'm not a massive fan of it um, Hans Lander from Inglorious Bastards 2009 I don't think I've watched this film I probably should have um, I've only seen the opening uh, where he's I think he's in Austria um, he's a bastard so it makes sense but whether he should be that high I don't know <laughs> uh, but we've got um, a Hannibal Lecter Silence of the Lambs Anthony Hopkins which I agree yeah Anthony Hopkins is a S- fantastic actor most definitely um, and scarily intelligent baddie uh, villain who is very calculating is always three steps ahead of, uh, of everyone else mm. so re- I agree with that really good choice um, as I do the next one again second outing uh, for Rickman Hans Gruber Die Hard 1988 this comes up a lot in our podcast it does this should be the Die Hard podcast um, still a Christmas film it's yeah and um, and yeah he, he effectively is um, very business like about the way he conducts himself and uh, kills innocents and but can switch over very very quickly to John McClane's buddy when he's trying to play mm. uh, another survivor. Oh, yeah. What was it you said to me before? yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> um, fantastically uh, acted uh, and great choice. Um, Loki, Tom Hiddleston. So if we're talking about the films, uh, I think you're sort of there's a fine line between him being a hero and a villain. I know, so like in the in Thor and the Avengers, he's a bit of a bad egg, but then there's the theory that the Tesseract is influencing him and right. how he's sort of going about his day and being a bit of a bad guy. But actually, later on, he becomes a good guy. Yeah, we do see that as we get to Thor and Ragnarok and. Uh, very briefly it's um, Infinity War it's just a bit of a mischief well he's the god of mischief yeah I wouldn't say he's a villain per se but I mean he is the villain um, or the main villain shall I say in uh, Avengers and he plays quite a good one yeah yeah Agreed. he he demands uh, people's attention and their respect um, and he believes in his cause mm. so I kind of get it um, we all talked about these guys uh, but specifically the role of the Joker yeah, and uh, Nicholson, Hamill, Ledger, amongst some of them, and then that was number two. Number one, it says here, Darth Vader, Star Wars, David Prowse. Yeah, um, can't disagree. Actually, um, 
you know, a beginning opening scene of A New Hope, and you know, he just walks in with his black cape and the smoke. That's really quite a scary scene for mm. for that that time um, in cinematic history, you know. And as you go through, he's always again a couple of steps ahead. He in is it the Empire Strikes Back? It must be, and he um, captures the heroes on Cloud City, yeah, in Bespin, and of course then um, finds some kind of redemption at the end of Return of Jedi. But he's ultimately a pretty bad guy. In recent films as well, uh, I want to say Rogue One. Yeah. At the end of that, he just goes through and just cuts everyone up with his lightsaber. Yeah, and just, goes, just goes a bit batshit crazy. He does. Uh, wonderful scene. It was probably the only real highlight for me from that film. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'm not a massive fan of these um, bookend type films. Mm. But anyway, um, yeah, that's Darth Vader number one. Um, this is Empire Magazine. But for me, I mean, the special mention... Uh, of course, to late Alan Whitman, you know, Hans Gruber, Sheriff Nottingham, and Severus Snape. Yep. Uh, phenomenal. All really very great, uh, great depictions of characters. Um, you know, they, they're very intelligent, cold, uh, cutting. Um, and for me, I think that actor and the cats that he plays are absolutely phenomenal will go down in history as some of the, the best villains mm. ever so yeah honourable mention to uh, Alan Whitman there uh, one of my favourites um, but yeah that's that's it Dan that is it we finally got round to it we recorded our baddies it's finally happened so before I decide to go and um, uh, go to my local Yellow Pages and try and find a psychiatrist to understand my <laughs> beef with uh, leaders in, in education um, how can our listeners get in contact with us if they want to I guess get in contact to let us know if they've got a, a particular villain or if they disagree with some of ours we are on Facebook on the weekly roundup with Alex and Dan oh yes we are on Twitter at hello underscore TWRed we are on Instagram on at hello dot TWRed you can send us an email on hello dot TWRed at gmail.com or there is Anchor. So you don't actually need to download Anchor anymore. Not anymore. We just have a link which will take you directly through to a recording button. Yeah, effectively uses your um, your device. So um, most likely going to be on your phone. You use your microphone. You accept and say, yes, I want to use it. And yeah, you can leave us a, a voice message very easily and be, literally be part of the show as we've had some listeners in the past. We're going to put something out on social media as well for a future episode. We want your pop culture conspiracy theories. We do, yeah. So um, what are some of those strange stories you've heard out there? You know, the internet is rife with um, with nut jobs and, and crazies. But there, <laughs> there, but there might be some truth in some things they say. So, um, yeah, get in contact. Let us know what are some of those conspiracy theories that perhaps might have legs and what are some of those that are just so outlandish no possible way that they could be real well we were in the car the other day looking at some of them and some of them are just ridiculous and then others you look and you go oh that kind of makes sense yeah so yeah we'll, we'll put a post out um, get in contact let us know some of your favourites or some that you think perhaps are, uh, are real 
or be interested to hear from you. That's it for us. I've been Dan. I've been Alex. And we'll see you next time. Hello, Radsters, and welcome to another episode of the Weekly Roundup. What's up? Nothing. <laughs> I was just... Uh... Oh, right. Put your hand up. Yeah. I thought there was something outside. Hello, Radsters, and welcome to another episode... <laughs> <laughs> These outtakes could be brilliant. Bloopers. Just as well, because of that. airy. Anyone still complaining about only six episodes of Game of Thrones this season needs to check out the YouTube channel. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Get your teeth in. So my namesake got involved, uh, Daniel Warren Holland. I'm going to call him Dutch. Azem <laughs> is giving her a, a testimony. A, a, a testimony. And I can't it, get my words together in this episode, Alex. And uh, it gets all shooty, shooty, bang, bang. I can't understand where, um, where is it Gavin? Is that Gavin? Yeah. I can't understand where Gavin's coming from. Yeah, and she's got a lackey as well. Uh, I forget his name. It is. Fuck. I've really fucked this one up, haven't I? Blooper. Bloopers.